Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know. Catholic Stuff You Should Know. We were just, Father Mike just started singing a Christmas song here a second ago. And kids dressed <laughs> up like Eskimos. Is that, is that actually a lyric? If he, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Sounded pretty good. It's, you know, it's kind of cooling off over here. And yeah. uh, I like this time of year. Like I like the feel, the chill yeah. in the air, and oh, it's nice. You know, putting on the sweater and we're gearing up, drinking we're gearing, some tea, gearing up for Advent. We got tea in our hands here, the little whiskey in it. I got one of these Yeti mugs, so these things, this will keep it hot for about seven days. Yeah, Have you seen these and things? keep your fingers cool. Good, I know. good for you. You give me the old <laughs> tin cup. Now, Father John has these tricky cups that are kind of like a one of these gag gifts. So, hey, can I make you a tea? And then he hands you one of these campfire tin cups. Uh, that they look and cool. a glove. Okay, so you have to wear the glove <laughs> to be able to. So it's it's so dumb. It looks cool and it burns your fingers. So okay, so not a very pause good for cup. a second. These were gifts from friends of ours. One is Gregory Allen Isakoff, who designed his mug to be. Um, Rather uh, Wait, conductive, conductive. I w- we'll just presume, presume he did. And then okay. the other one, the Mumford and Sons mugs are from um, Ann Ferraro, but they are rather conductive of heat, right? I think that's the right word. So, yeah, yeah. But well, that, I'm not trying to knock that particular our mug is from John. I'm very McCoy. grateful. John for McCoy, gifts. actually. But yeah, these mugs. Uh, Father Mike has to wear a glove, a liner uh, glove. Well, it's all metal. Yeah, it right. just when we con- put our conduces, conducts that stuff right into we my also fingers. have a, a Russell Hobbs um, tea kettle that Maggie Cure uh, purchased from England, and this this thing is like this could fire up Apollo thirteen into into orbit. The thing is so oh, powerful. Oh yeah, it's these like things. A, now I don't remember seeing this in the states. No, but they're they're all over the place here. These yeah. hot hot pots. You put the water in there, and yeah. then it blasts it into boiling. Ooh, that's hot. Oh, that's hot. Yeah, that's hot. Yep. That is hot. And this is hot on hot. I just had chicken nuggets for, for dinner. <laughs> they serve nuggets tonight? Occasionally they do nuggets. Not very often, but I, they're kind of bland, so I use that uh, hot sauce. Oh, yeah. And it is fire, man. Yeah. I who, thought it was going to be weak. And who brought that hot sauce me. over I, here? The top of my head was sweating. Yeah. You feel, feel your ears, <laughs> ear lobes. Your lobes like are in thro- fuego. Throb- like you could get your heartbeat from your ear lobes. That's that's saying something. So, if you're listening to the podcast for the first time, this is Father John and Father this Mike. This is Father Mike, and we are in uh, Roma, Bella Roma, where there's not hot sauce, but somebody imported it. So, and you can put it on your chicken nuggets. But yeah, this thing is pretty delightful. Little cup of tea right here. So. I missed uh, I missed uh, chicken nuggets night because uh, it's like we're in elementary school, you know. We had like chicken chicken rings. That was like a big thing. You get chicken rings. Oh yeah. Or French bread pizza. That was our two options for. But we always had sack lunches, so well, we, we look, never got to get you're not chicken, missing chicken rings. A whole lot. These yeah. chicken nuggets. You can't really like try to taste them or look at them <laughs> on the inside because they're all pink. Turns out they're not really chicken nuggets. They're like pressed meat oh, spam gosh. nuggets. Yeah. Or ham or something. You know what? I, they taste different. They're not exactly. I went out for dinner last night with Father Austin Lickey, uh, who listens to the podcast, who probably should be on the podcast more regularly because he's he's been on. He's been he on. He was on yeah. with the Berardi. That's one. right. Um, and uh, I had Canelio last night. Oh yeah, rabbit, rabbit. It was amazing. You like that? Yeah. It was this Tuscan place near the Trevi Fountain, and it was. Um, I was like, I've never had, I've never had the guts to just go for it and just have rabbit, and it was incredible. Yeah, it tastes good. It was I like really it. They'll good. serve it here once in a while, but yeah. there's some guys. I, Vincent told me he doesn't eat that. He doesn't They're eat rabbit. They're too cute. Yeah. He, you know, he refuses to it's eat like it. It's like a moral thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you shouldn't eat it. an animal that cute. Yeah, that's true. What does that say about chickens? I think they're kind of clever. <laughs> <laughs> well, these guys were, these must have been pretty hefty rabbits that I had because what I was looking at, I was, a, I was surprised to see how big the. Uh, they're like jackalope. Yeah, jack. These are uh, jackalopes for sure. So, well, I must say, Father Mike, I'm just happy you're alive right now because uh, we were biking yesterday. Uh, oh man, coming out of that Castel- was an exercise in prayer. Coming out of Castel Gandolfo, we've done this ride many times. But then Rocinante, his famous and faithful bike, mm-hmm. 
we're going down this like real steep pitch road going 30 miles an hour and uh the brakes go out yeah turned out that back brake wasn't working at all yeah so when and your back brake goes out the front brake is not like real strong right uh which could be good or bad because if it's too strong you just go flying over the hand that's it yeah you're just going but if it's too weak you know you're not going to stop right you can kind of slow but this was a serious hill i was praying i don't know if i was praying harder on the way up because my legs were burning and i was trying to keep up right. with Father john and he's just strong and I've been out of shape. And then You've been sick. I was praying, been praying, oh, Lord, help me, Lord, help me. And then on the way down, it was more like, ah, Lord, help me, Lord, help me. And we do this ride out to Castel Gandolfo, which is about, um, I don't know, 20 miles uh, south of Rome. And it's a, a beautiful spot up in these little mountains. And uh, there's a nice lake there and trees, all the things we don't have here in Rome. And uh, so that's nice. But... Uh, yeah, this particular one, when you it's real, you get there and then it's like real steep. You got to climb up a couple miles to just right up there, and then you got to come back down. It's usually fun when you have brakes on your bike, but oh yeah, we get a cappuccino at the top. It's a beautiful spot. Yeah, it's it's amazing. So we had some nice weather. Rain's coming in though in Rome. We're getting into the yeah, fall here now, so it's true. It's time to start singing your Esca- Eskimo children songs. And stuff dressed up like Eskimo. <laughs> Is that really a lyric? I don't know. <laughs> Oh man! You know the funny thing is, people listen to this stuff, and then they will—they will. Somebody will know that is a lyric, and they will identify it, and then they'll write in and they'll say, "I wrote that song." I wrote that song. How dare you? Right? I wrote that song. Which, speaking of which, one of the last—I mean, there's some there's some Catholics who are really hardcore about that, like no Christmas songs before Christmas and all that stuff. I know. So I'm not trying to break that old rule, you know. I just. Feel the chill in the air. Well, it's we're getting there. It's November. We're kind of gearing up for Advent. I mean, um, Jacob Strand was telling me today. He's like, I'm counting down the days till I can listen to Josh Garrell's Christmas album. You know? Oh yeah, that's like we're getting there. You know, we're getting close. We're getting there. But speaking of podcast listeners who write in based on things we say, um, we had the ultimate curiositas, which I led. I take responsibility for that. Curiositas is not a good thing. Um, but we were talking about. What is the closest solar system to, you know, ours? Oh yeah, and uh, and then I and then you were asking about you know how fast can a cheetah run and all these different things. Well, uh, Evan Dill, this is one of our favorite podcast or uh, emails from the last uh, couple of weeks. But Evan Dill, who's an engineer who did the math and He's said a strong mathematician, he wanted you to know it would take roughly forty million years for a cheetah to run to Alpha Centauri A full speed. Now I was going to challenge this guy. You know, you want a nerd contest. I was going to challenge him to factor in dehydration <laughs> for that 400 million years. I don't That's even know. That's a cheetah running full speed. I don't even know how one would do that, but I think the challenge has been issued. So, Evan Dill, good luck. It's a fun fact. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's uh, <laughs> more astronomy. Back to the. Right. Back to it. So. Anyways, Father Mike's still alive. Rocinante needs some. She needs some love. Yeah, I felt like I was going as fast as fast as a cheetah. Can you tell those who are not um, Cervantes fans why you named your bike Rocinante? Oh, you know Don Quixote. He's got. He's this kind of old man. He's retired to a life of adventure as a knight <laughs> errant, but he doesn't really have the gear. So he takes off all this old armor from the shelf. Um, or like hanging on the wall, decorative stuff, and it doesn't fit him at all, but he puts it on and he looks kind of stupid and everything. It's a great description in, in the, the book. Uh, but he, he goes out and he's got this real old horse that doesn't behave and is never trained and is not strong at all. Um, and it's just kind of a wild little horse uh, called Rocinante, but he talks about it like it's his faithful steed and it's this strong uh, stallion that draws him into battle and he's always talking up you know Rocinante. Rocinante. So I did find this little bike at the what was it? Flea market. Flea market, yep. And here, here picked her Rome. up, cleaned yep. her off. And she doesn't And her she, name is Rossi. Yeah, and it's called Rossi. That's the brand, yeah. the Italian brand. And uh she breaks down pretty often I think, right? Right. <laughs> every every other ride I'm doing something. I have to like invent parts for this thing it's this is the one of the kind of great uh freak experiences of my life is that i i have this new road bike and i ride as hard as i can 
and Mike is riding this like janky, janky thing that has like no gears. The brakes don't work. The handlebars are not even connected properly. And somehow he is like riding with me for miles and miles and miles. I'm like, I don't understand how this works, but I don't know if like imagine, uh, I don't know for, I'm trying to think of how to compare it to like Jim. Well, it, one thing it does is that it skips the, the gears just skip automatically. You right. Know? So I'll have it in the highest gear to climb. And then it'll and just, then it'll just start coming down. And so it's hard enough to climb in the, the highest gear. But then when it starts to decide to challenge me more, <laughs> I just start crying and cussing and <laughs> turning around and trying to... I have to go back downhill to get the gear back and oh, loop no. around. That sounds like the an al- analogy for writing a doctorate, huh? It's like you're going along and it's challenging enough and then it just yeah. gears up. Yeah, and, thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks for nothing. Well, no. Wrenching the spokes. Yeah, we're doing it, and uh, we're getting there. We're, it's November. Advent is upon us, and we're excited to have the boys out next week. Oh, it's exciting. It's so fun. So all the companions are coming out, both all the companions from Denver and all the guys from St. Paul. Oh, so yeah. So we're going to be like 40 really total. I've been getting really jacked about this. Thing. Oh, man, Just I am excited. excited. I'm trying to like work real hard and get stuff done to right. get ready for them. And right. That is not like being achieved. Or, right. I mean, like my goal isn't being met, but... I don't care. No, but it doesn't I'm matter. Just looking forward to seeing my buds. It's going to be great to have the boys out. Uh, you're rooming with Goble, by the way. Oh, good. You're just locked in those assignments. So um, he doesn't snore. He just sings. He's a singer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He'll sing. That's all right. We'll do Christmas songs. Yeah, <laughs> orphan Christmas songs. The uh, he is um, he's coming out. All the guys are coming out. Uh, five nights in a CC for a little conference with all the St. Paul guys, and it'll be a lot of us. And uh, the St. St. Paul companions are like they're like varsity squad. We're like the JV squad. Like you we, think? I think we got like the leftover gear and like got the wrong face mask on your helmet, and the shoulder pads are too big, and kind of the Quixotes. You know, we're the Quixotes, yeah. And those guys look at us like that's cute. They're trying. Oh uh, you know. yeah, keep going, guys. Yeah, but um, we'll all be together, and we're excited because we we started this thing. Uh, ten years back, and we got to know a lot of the the younger guys who are now have now been priests for four or five years. So, Luke Marquardt and Brian Park and Mark Paviglio and Nate yeah, Liberté. they have a whole. These guys all listen. Our guys don't listen. Their guys. Yeah, thanks guys. Listen. So we appreciate. Good for that. you. We're excited. So teach yeah. our guys when you're out here. You can yeah, teach them. Tell our guys when you come out here. That's right. So teach them the ways. Tell them sometimes. What we say is worthwhile. <laughs> I don't think. Then they definitely maybe won't. they've been too then close. They to definitely it. won't believe you on that one. Yeah. So that's uh, it's good though. So here we are. Yep. Getting excited. Well, you want to go, my friend, or you want me to continue on the companions theme? Is that the trick? Is that our topic? Uh, I don't know if this is a good one, but I got a topic. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. Why don't you go ahead then? If I don't know. Should I haven't been watching the clock. When I when I do it, I want to watch the clock. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna watch the clock. We're gonna start doing. I don't. That now. That's not like a, whatever. No, we warning. need to watch the clock. And honestly, we got mass early at St. Peter's tomorrow, so we got to watch the clock. We can't we can't party too late here. All tonight, right. So, well, what do you got? Well, let's chat, Father Mike. Uh, ten years ago, on the 12th of December, so just in a few weeks, you and myself and Father Brian Larkin and Father Matt Book started the Companions of Christ with the help of Monsignor Michael Glenn and especially Archbishop Charles Shapu. That that we did. Ten years ago. Cheers. Aguri. Aguri. Congratulations. Let's get our smoking hot tea here that we can't even <laughs> drink. Your hand's burning. Aguri. No, that's, that's just shaking. I have shaky hands. Tanti Aguri. So uh, I thought, you know what? We haven't done a Companions podcast in a bit, and we've been getting in trouble talking about uh, the feminine stuff, so maybe we should change the subject a little bit for a couple uh, weeks. Stick to dudes. And we'll go back to that. I get There's a couple things coming in down the pipeline. Is that right? You say that down the pipeline? That, I don't know. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I think I've heard Down that. the pike. Down the pipeline. I don't know. What's The, the pike is like, yeah, go Why ahead. do I always bring up these colloquial phrases on the podcast? I don't really know, so... But uh, for the Cervantes fans out there, that is a trait of his, of Quixote's trusty sidekick, Sancho Panza. Sancho Panza. He's yeah. always throwing out lines and misquoting things. <laughs> so I really am Sancho Panza. You might be. I think I am. You're Don Quixote. Um, so, anyways, what I'm holding in my hand right here is 
an article that I wrote. Uh, that sounds more impressive than it is. It's a it's a bunch of words on it's three thousand words to be exact uh, that I wrote because of two reasons. Um, number one, well, three reasons. Number one, we're coming up on the companion's anniversary. I've been thinking a lot about it. I've been excited for it. I've been mm-hmm. kind of reflecting on. We've been talking about you know what are we doing? What are we doing? What is God doing with this? What are we about? You know. And uh, as you, those of you who listen to this regularly know, the podcast is kind of a fruit of the companion's life. It's always been the companion priests or seminaries who have been doing this thing. So that's the number one. Number one thing is just kind of like interested in like just thinking about it again. Yeah, yeah. Number anniversary two, special. Anniversary special, baby. So this is kind of the, thinking about that. Number two, there's been some recent um, critics uh, around what we're doing. There's always critics on the way we're living, and that's probably justified. Um, <laughs> but these are recent critiques of the model itself, yeah, the, the idea, form of life, the yeah. form of life, the structure, what, this whole kind of idea. And so that's had me thinking and writing and, you know, filled with resentment no i'm just joking uh but just no, i mean it's spinning good, at times thinking oh my gosh how are we well, going to respond to that well nobody ever likes criticism but it can be like a helpful tool for reflecting on things and refining ideas and oh it, it really is push it, you know and i'm a very polemical character but i think i'm getting just too old i'm just getting tired oh really I, yeah i just want to like want to formulate good ideas now i don't really want to fight as much i always be fighting but um Anyways, just to kind of say, let's some res- call this wisdom. Wisdom. Uh, let's yeah. try and respond to this with clarity. You know, that's kind of part of it. So that's that's the second point. And the third point is what is the third point? I think I lost it. Or the first two. First two <laughs> anniversary and criticism. Criticism. And then the third. I lost the third, third one. Reason right? you want to teach me? I want to teach you. The other. Uh, What's the third one? Father, I had this. Father John sent me this thing. I'm looking at a. I'm looking at a notes. This I got, thing I got he wrote. A, this real nice reflection on companion. Ah, here it is. I got. I remember. And <laughs> par usual, <laughs> maybe a maybe a, a real phrase. Uh, I have not read it yet. I yeah. haven't really like downloaded it and. That's Taking okay. That's but he gave me a rundown that was on the like bike 20, ride. I did that like 24 hours ago, and we talked about it for five hours on the bike ride. So, But this way you can... This is what it was. Gotta, we are reading a uh, wonderful little book um, called I Have Called You Friends by Carlo Bertola, Italian. Mm-hmm. I think it was his license thesis. I don't know. But it's on precisely what the companions are about, which is to say that priests are united in a sacramental bond. And he fleshes out the theology of what that means. What does it mean that priests are bonded together? So they're bonded as brothers. They can't get away from each other. And they have to express that in some way. So we we love this book. Mm -hmm. But in the book, which was written in Italian, is a quotation from John Paul II that he gave in German in 1980. And... it struck me as slightly odd in the trans. This is the Italian translation of the German into English, and I remember thinking, "That can't be." I got to read that. I got to see what it said. What's the quote? Well, the quote said in Bertola, it said, "Many priests find themselves consumed by work and thus become loners." And oh, I was yeah. like, "Did John Paul II actually say like priests become loners?" Loners. Many priests uh, become. Uh, consumed in work, become loners, and lose and lose their bearings. Um, and then he goes on to say, you know, we need to be supporting priestly fraternity that helps priests to understand and live the bond uh, that they have in order that they might understand and live in Christ more deeply, basically, is what he says. And you look at well, the Well, I know some priests who are loners. Right. Is that... Maybe so, that's what he said. Wille Preston Vesarien sik in Arbeit werden aben Einsam. Einsam just means alone, right? Alone. Right. Yeah, yeah. So it's many priests consume themselves in work and find themselves alone and losing their orientation, right? Yeah. Um, Evan and I debated on this. I got I got a lot Not of notes to- back from, because I, I don't know, orientation has some certain kind of, I don't know. It has some certain meanings in the United States. I was thinking more of like the bearings. You know, you lose your bearings. But he said, no, 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 that's not with the German. This is funny. Evan said, you 
are quoting, I put everything in italics. He goes, you do that like John Paul II did that. Everything's in italics. <laughs> so he's just everything's dissecting this thing. He's like, quit using, everything doesn't need to be italicized, but it looks so good in italics, you know? So Things uh, do look, they look yeah, good. They stand out. So losing your bearings, losing the orientation, losing the direction of your priestly life happens when you get consumed in work. And that's, that's what John Paul is saying. The response to that needs to be um, this lived, willed bond, this expression of priestly fraternity. It needs to be lived in a, real, in a more real way. And he's saying to the bishops in Germany, this is 40 years ago, support everything that does that. Support everything. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that that's a response to over, overwork or losing your kind of sense of self and vocation or however he's describing it there. Right. I mean, just as a connection, he's not saying, you know, get more massages or learn to manage your life better or something. Right. Fly to the that's Met. Fly to the Met for, you know, operas more regularly, these kind of things. Oh. <laughs> People get creative. <laughs> no, just... I don't do that. He's no. not laughing because I do that. <laughs> I don't want everybody thinking I do that. Father Mike. I do like opera. Revealing but. his secrets here. No, it's just whatever you're kind of... Uh, we all have these things, you know. Mine recently has been... Uh, I watched... I told you this. I watched this Patagonia video. It's only 20 minutes long, but it came out last week on um, the right to Rome in Scotland. And so it's all, just all these this kind of snowboarding in Scotland, and it's just like... I was just lost, and I was like, "That's amazing. That's the fantasy." Life. I want to, I want to run away from my dissertation and just go. I, don't, I wouldn't snowboard, but I want to go. I want to go ski in Scotland and just hang out in huts and just be really deep and like just driving around in a van and hang out with these like really deep people and you know, that's that's that can be that. You can go to the Met and l- watch opera or bury yourself in work. I mean, that's we all find our ways to kind of medicate yeah. it. You know? Oh, I've got a million different ways, but. The bottom line is that just like every vocation, priests have a temptation when you lose your orientation to just try and figure out some way to medicate that and some way to kind of live in a fantasy world, you know. And we have that just like everybody else. So what we're trying to or do is... Or maybe just get numb. Yeah. You know, just like lose lose life. Right. If you become kind of lifeless and just work. You yeah. Because you want to hold on, you want to serve the church, you want to be... And all this work is good work. I think that's the hard thing with the the priesthood. It's like there's a lot of demands and a lot of expectations, a lot of people and a lot to do. And the work is always a service to God. Right. So you're kind of like, well, why not do it yeah. as much and all the time? And yeah. it's hard to say no to things. And all the older priests will say, well, you got to learn to say no to things. But it's not enough just to learn to stop working or delegate work or something. Right. There's more to life. You know? Right. If your escape method is like my little Patagonia world and I drag you up there and we go snowboarding in Scotland and we just kind of disappear for a couple of months, um, people can look at that and say, that's really selfish. You abandoned the parish. But if you're just sending emails all day and just in the office all day long and you're burying yourself in work, um, it looks it looks like generosity. It looks like fruitfulness. Right. It looks like effectiveness. It looks almost, like and, and it's almost like the more miserable you are, yeah, the more generous right. you're obviously right. being. And that's the <laughs> which thing. is really messed Goebel up. said this this summer. He said workaholics make the rest of us look bad, and I think that's true. It's like you know, uh, and as millennials, we're not prone to that. We're prone to kind of escapism, I guess. But um, it's it is it's we got to look at this and say. Like things are really broken right now, and um, priesthood, priestly culture is a part of that. The whole the whole thing is though; it's not just priests; it's the whole culture, and we're all looking for ways to kind of escape that or medicate that. So, we want to figure out healthy ways to respond to that, and the way we do that is by looking at Christ um, and figuring out what did He do? What what actually did He? How did He set these things up? Because He He had it all there, you know. And he's inviting us to return to those that foundation. Um, but the question is, what did he do? One of the things he did was he called his apostles into an intimate, common life together. And we really mm. believe that that's an important form of priestly fraternity that continues to live through the centuries. And so the companions, rooted in the last century of popes calling for this, the Second Vatican Council calling for this, uh, everything is calling for this, saying... 
live priestly fraternity, but in a particular way, one of those, pre- and we'll say the preeminent way, is a common life, which is to say, like you and I are doing, and the companions are trying to do, you live like a family. Mm-hmm. Which means you don't just live by yourself and then check in with guys. That's okay, but the common life is comprehensive in the sense that everything I have is shared. I have nothing to my own. Yeah, yeah. You, know? you and I grew up... I remember when you and I were living in the companion's house and we shared a bathroom together and it was Jack and Jill. I don't know who was Jack and who was Jill, but we'll leave that for another, <laughs> yeah. another topic. But it was very easy for me to share life with you and share a bathroom with you because we'd sit in there, brush our teeth at night and talk because we grew up in big families, you know? Yeah, yeah. And where we shared bathrooms together. And it was just very kind of natural. It wasn't like you're going to lock both the doors and you need privacy. It was just like, yeah, you know, uh, we're doing this, I'm doing this, we're we're talking and... Um, we want to live that out as priests, you know, and, and we felt called to that. And that's why we started the Companions, and uh, that's what we're trying to do right now. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the the wording of that scripture passage that we often quote. From, I think it's from, from Mark. Something about Jesus um, having prayed through the night, uh, called to himself those that he wanted, uh, that they might live together with him. Something like this. Mm-hmm. But there's there's this element of, it's for the sake of being with Jesus, but it's necessarily with the community, like a community of brothers. Right. And then throughout the New Testament literature, you have references to brothers. And I don't think it's just like a com- convenient metaphor, this family of the church, but really it was intended uh, when Paul you know, writes to the brothers or right. um, greets the brothers or something like that, you know. Um, and throughout Acts, they travel together, and um, but there's this there's this bond that's not just coworkers or um, I don't know I, I I think it's just like very evident through the scriptures and yeah. that Jesus envisioned this relationship and uh, that it's it's meant for the good of the of those who were called to it. Right, I think at the foundations of the the church are is the manifestation of God's inner life, which is a community of persons, you know, a a communion. God is a trinity. And that reflects into the church. And uh, we need to model that in a really profound way. And that's what the family is, and I think that's what the priesthood is meant to be lived. Now, there's a number of different ways that can be lived. But what's interesting is, as you know, I mean, you've heard all this stuff, you know, this is kind of boring for you, but hopefully it's interesting for somebody listening, but... For 18 centuries, the normative life of the majority of the priests in the world was in the common life, which means that the daily thing they experienced was that they prayed together, they had meals together, they studied together, and they recreated together. And from that experience came a deep kind of movement of brotherhood, which freed their hearts for a vulnerability, for an intimacy, for an accountability, and which ultimately culminated in deep friendship. Yeah. Which is which is what the human heart is made for, you know. And that was the normative experience of most priests for most of history. And then that all really collapsed in the last two centuries, where we're in a time now where the norm became the exception, and the exception is now non-existent. It's just gone. Priests don't mm-hmm. live together. If you want to be a loner, as John Paul II quote-unquote says... Then become a diocesan priest. Oh, that's crazy. We don't think that's true. Historically, theologically, canonically. And so the task is now to say, we need to kind of creatively recover these things that are right there at the heart of the gospel, like you were talking about. Yeah. And in the, you know, throughout the tradition of the church. I wonder how, like, how that happened. I mean, that's kind of another topic, but sort of what led to that. I know there's like a lot of missionary efforts that um, have been very helpful to the spread of the gospel, but there was a time when missionary efforts were like monastic mm-hmm. and you would move a community into an area and that community would evangelize or be the missionaries, right? Right. And then it seems like there's also times when you have these kind of rogue, um, I don't know, missionaries. Like you get the sense of that for uh, Mother Cabrini is today. Yeah, Mother Cabrini. And... Um, Joseph um, Projectus Matchbuff yeah. was our first bishop in Denver, but he's a French missionary who right. was recruited from France and then was kind of like sent out. And 
it's hard to know even from like the biography is how dependent were they on priestly fraternity around them and then um, <clears throat> I think eventually you just get the sense that this is kind of a normal sort of reality in the church and not not the exception that was so somehow seen as helpful or necessary yeah yeah, that's an interesting, interesting question. I, I certainly think that there's a historical precedent for um, the reality of what we would call like eremitical priests, so priests who live as hermits. I was talking to Matt Poulet, I forget how you pronounce his last name, at Abruzzi, and I was talking about our friend Father Dave Nix, who is a close friend of the Companions, but has a totally different style. He's not called to be a Companion. But it's it's very I think it's legitimate and consonant with the history of the diocesan priesthood, uh, which is to say that some guys, are, Jesus is calling them to live radically, like almost like a hermit, as a priest. But the the normative life is in this community. Yeah, at but least the hermits. History. I mean, at least I'm thinking of like Egypt, and I lived in the Holy Land and saw the the, the monastic life there. The hermits aren't put in charge of a community right and or asked right. to serve a community as their uh, pastor you know right. they are sort of consulted from afar if people had problems or wanted spiritual advice they would go and travel over there see the hermit right and then go back to their regular life it wasn't like the hermit is supposed to be yeah you know like in in the middle of his parish serving the parish right. that was never the case but here's the tricky thing as Americans, we like the self-made man, right? We like the uh, the Lone Ranger, especially in the West. Oh I yeah, think, you know, um, you don't move to Mo- you don't move out west. A lot of times, people move out west because they want to get away from their family, they want to get away from whatever, and just be in the mountains. And they just want to snowboard and you know whatever, putting all the evils of the world on snowboarding. You know, these are yeah, yeah as young it belongs people. To. But uh, the freedom of the young. Yeah, but I just want to break away, and then you realize you can't. You know, and and you think of like um, into the wild, uh, that famous line at the end. You know, happiness is only real when it's shared. You know, he realizes mm-hmm. that at the end of his life. Um, so the problem here is the self-reliance of individualism, of modern individualism. Um, that's the enemy of fraternity. That's the enemy of communion, right? There's, Christ is the most unself-reliant human, or I should say human nature, because he wasn't a human person, uh, that ever existed. Like He was totally reliant and totally dependent on the Father, on the relationship with the Father. His whole existence was conditioned by this relation to the Trinitarian persons. He did not exist in this reliant way by himself. And that's that's really important for the Christian. We have to model that and we have to embody that. And this this kind of I, I don't think it's just an American thing. I think it's all over the West. I think it's all over modernity. But we especially love that in America. The self made man or woman go, you know, become the person that you're meant to be. And by power of will or by force of character, you're gonna defy the odds. And you're going to be the person oh, yeah. that you make yourself to be. You're going to be Oprah Winfrey, and we're going to respect you because you know what you did it. And especially if you come from, uh, you know, kind of uh, odds, the odds are against you in your upbringing. Then, then we respect you all the more. And that's that's crazy for the Christian. But we well, look yeah. at we like. I mean, that. that's like yeah. that's kind of the part of the American dream, you yeah. know, like uh, this: do it yourself, make yourself. And uh, yeah, I, self-reliance. I don't. I mean, I even have a hard time like kind of critiquing self-reliance entirely. Yeah. Like, I don't want to make it like an entirely bad um, category or whatever. Uh, like to- a total vice. I I suppose as a Christian, it might be. I don't know. I mean, I haven't considered that like very deeply. I know it can be a temptation. It can be a problem. Right. And certainly in our time, it can be a real deterrent to Christian community. Um, yeah, I don't know if... And then and, and, and in the priesthood, I've certainly experienced in my own priesthood that yeah. um, this gets me into trouble right. when I try to be self-reliant. Uh, it's like pride comes before a fall. Right. You just think you can do more than you can do. And actually a lot of my spiritual growth has come from realizing my limits. 
Right. I can do, you know, just learning. I can't do that. I need to ask God for grace or yeah. something, or I need to rely on other people. And yeah, I think that's just part of Christian maturity eventually. So the question becomes, how do you concretely, because I think what you're saying is true. Like there's something about self-reliance. Okay. Maybe that's bad, but self-possession is actually a really good thing. Yeah. Someone maybe that's who's a good self-possessed, way to, yeah. you know, like just kind of knows who they are and they know what they're about. They're confident in who they yeah. are. And there's not, a maturity to be able right. to take care of yourself. Right. There's something really or good. Take in on that. responsibility right. or something like that. Right. We, uh, we admire that for the right reasons. The question becomes, how do you concretely experience your dependence on God? You know, like day to day. Like, how do you live in such a way? If you're a priest in a parish of 4,000 people and you're spending yourself all day providing for the needs of others and getting a lot of satisfaction in that, that's okay, and you're doing a lot of good. But the problem is, is you don't actually experience your own need. Yeah. And you start to forget, I have needs, like I have dependence uh, primarily on God. And, but they're human, because I'm a human being. Um, I don't think that happens in a family as easily. I think it can happen in a family. Um, but I think that a husband and a wife and their children, I think that they, they live in such a close proximity that they realize just how poor they are in love. The kitchen's not clean. The trash hasn't gone out. The kids are screaming. Whatever it might be, mm. you're just constantly kind of stretched. And the priest has this ability to kind of move in and out of a professional atmosphere. He can kind of put on the pastoral mask and kind of be everything to these people at a funeral and then disappear and kind of do his own life. But all of a sudden, then he starts to kind of create this dichotomy between his private and personal, or his private and his public life. That's dangerous, you know? Yeah. You can justify a lot there. You can live like a bachelor. And, uh, and you, you can, I think you can lose the humanity of the whole thing. Right. Where... Um, the people that you're helping become sort of projects, you know, each little thing to do. I worked construction at one point um, just for a few months in summers. And you go to work, you have the tasks, you take care of those tasks, and then you uh, go home. I mean, it was all very, um, just the work you could reduce to just like the tasks with these elements. Mm -hmm. And then as a priest, I think you start with a lot of concern and compassion and maybe keep that up. But I've got this meeting with this couple. I want to try to fix that, fix their um, kind of marital issues or whatever, give them some counseling, give them some skills. Then I got to go and do mass. I got to run this meeting and we got to successfully do something good to push the parish forward. I've got to organize this group that's in this upcoming event. And it becomes it starts to become just like tasks and um, uh, projects and less about people or less of an encounter with people where you can encounter your, we, your weaknesses and everything. So I think sometimes we, we're tempted to talk about parochial life like it's always the same as the family life. Right. It's people running into each other, challenging each other, right. um, interacting on that level of giving and receiving. And that's, yeah, there's a lot of potential there for that kind of thing. But a lot of the priest's life ends up being um, working on these different tasks and projects right. that have people involved, but are not necessarily that kind of human encounter that um, gives life and forms yeah. the, you know, yeah. keeps them human. Yeah. Um, and then if you just have that and you go home to yourself, you're still, you've been alone all day. You've been a, working with people, but not necessarily, you know, experiencing that communion of people, that family life, you know. Right. Yeah, so that becomes, you do that day after day, year after year. You can see how it would, even with the best of intentions, it could, it could really change you, and especially in a time when the, Culture's collapsing, and family life is really, really on the rocks, you know. So what do you do? You're a young priest. Your father might grab. You're 26, 25. How old are you now? Are you 34? 34. 34. Okay, so you're 24 <laughs> years old. 26. Long time ago. So you, this when, is we an start, anniver- when we started the Companions, show. you were 24, and I was 20, 24 as well. Um, and we thought to ourselves... Well, I think a way to respond to this would be to create a familial-type life of the common life. It's in the tradition. The church has asked for it. Let's do it. So we grabbed these two other guys, 
I through I think a rather miraculous circumstances, Monsignor Michael Glenn supported us, and Archbishop Chaput uh, founded us. He established us, and we we founded a community of an association of diocesan priests uh, in the Archdiocese of Denver, modeled after, kind of franchised from a group of guys that had done this 15 years before us in St. Paul, Minnesota. And it's cool to listen to the old guys and to talk to them about this. Um, And by old guys, I mean they're like 50. But um, to hear the stories, you know, because they were a bunch of consecrated men coming out of a charismatic renewal community in either Ann Arbor, Michigan, or in St. Paul, Minnesota, who desired to give their whole hearts to the Lord um, and to live in community. And through a number of circumstances, they felt called to be priests, and they founded this community. And then 15 years later, we picked it up, and here we are. 10 years later, and all of them, all 30, whatever it is, 27 or 28 of them, and all 11 of us, Debbie Coop <laughs> said, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's respectable, that's respectable. That's respectable. Well, you got 11. All 11 of us in Denver um, are all together to celebrate, um, and but also to ask the Lord for graces to live this more deeply. So we really felt like we needed to found something that was um, real. We couldn't just kind of keep this as an idea. We needed to concretely live this, yeah. where we would have priests living in communities of three or more, serving the parishes, but living this familial life, which is a common life of prayer, study, recreation, um, and meals, but also of like real qualitative intimacy. So accountability, vulnerability of life, friendship, these things that the human heart needs. Yeah. Here we are. And I would add, um, well, two things. One is it, it wasn't just us founding it because we got a good idea. Uh, it was really that e- all, each of us had a very profound sense that this was the work of the Holy Spirit. Right. This was God giving a gift to the church um, and that he was working um, through us and calling us to do something. And, uh, and that, that Holy Spirit both drew us together and then really provided for us and um, fostered that brotherhood. And I still, I'm very convicted about that. I think, I think God wants to give good gifts to his church, and this is one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, as something of a, a testimony to that, I was very edified running into these priests in Minnesota. So not only did I think they had a good idea with three priests um, assigned together in households, living in family, okay, you get good ideas on paper and everything, but I could see these guys love each other. Mm-hmm. They're relatively happy people <laughs> and good priests. Yeah, you know that goes a long way. Yeah. Just to see there's something very real in the fruits of that life, and that was very convincing to me too, uh, because it was kind of like a mystery when we started. It was like, well, what exactly right. is this going to look like um, for us to be living together as brothers? And to see that witness from them was beautiful, and I, I you know, I keep uh, uh, enjoying that for in our own lives to be able to see um, my own friendship with guys grow and my own life, you know, um, and then just to see it in others that yeah. you know there is a, there is a certain joy. Work continues to be hard for everybody, <laughs> for all the priests, yeah. but it's not absolutely. Um, driving, making us lose our orientation and driving us into this kind of loneliness, this kind of inescapable loneliness. Right. You know? So thank God. Yeah. I think it's great. Thank God it's for a that. great 10-year uh, celebration. Cheers to our tea Thank you for whiskey. reflecting on that. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, we could talk about this for hours, but I think I'll just close with one final thought, if that's okay, and then we'll go to uh, shout-outs. Mm-hmm. First, I want to thank Archbishop Aquila, who does occasionally listen to this podcast for his support of the companions because he has oh, supported yeah, thank us. You. And uh, with him and everyone who listens, I would ask for your prayers as we approach our 10th anniversary. On the 15th of December, we're going to have a big uh, hoo-ha in Denver, um, kind of a day of re- re- uh, retreat and recollection for our friends and family of the companions. And Archbishop is going to say Mass, which is just great um, to celebrate the anniversary 
but just pray for the companions in St. Paul and Denver and for the number of other guys, you know, I'm talking to guys from all over the United States who are really interested in this. And there's a, it's something is coming and moving in the hearts of young priests and seminarians. So pray for that. Yeah. But especially those of us who are in the associations, pray that we would actually live it instead of just talk about it uh, because we yeah. want to live it, you know? Absolutely. So that's the first thing. And, and I want to encourage other priests. If there's other, you know, priests listening, uh, whether or not you you kind of find yourself in the situation that uh, John Paul is talking about. Um, the, the, the documents of the church in the last 30 years have continually uh, referred to the good that priestly associations are for the church. And th- that could mean a lot of different things. That's not just the Companions of Christ, right. but it's fraternal associations. Right. Uh, find ways to associate as brothers. So I just encourage all the priests out there, uh, do that. All the all the lay faithful help your priest to do that. Yeah. Pray for us as a church to be able to um, to take advantage of this um, kind of invitation from God yeah. to um, associate as priests. Yeah, all priests, all of us are called to a priestly fraternity by the nature of our sacramental bond. Common life, like the companions, one expression. Everybody has different ways of living it out. So everybody, we need to kind of work at this, and we need to get going on. The final thing I want to say, though, is to families, because most of the people listening to this are not priests. Um, so to say to families, you know, we're talking tonight, the point of this podcast was to say to, to recover our bearings, to not become loners, quote unquote, as John Paul II said, is to get outside of ourselves. But one of the temptations we face in the companions, which I think every family faces, is it's so hard to concretely live the common life that you forget to go outside of your own immediate family. So you hunker down, take care of your family, take care of your kids, and it's like, that's not enough. you got to get outside. The companions exist to support the larger presbyterate of Denver in the same way in St. Paul. we got to be out there with guys supporting those who are on the fringes, maybe those who are struggling. And it's the same with families, is... You need other families. You need to be supporting other families. You need to be reaching out. Get outside of your own purview of your own children, of your own family, and um, build community. I was so edified by the fact that John and Emily Fraker, who are now publicly bringing up, uh, so they better do it, want to do Lord's Day dinners. Yeah. So Sarah and Mike uh, Villafranca, my cousins, and uh, Evan Christensen, who are listening in uh, Boston, you guys get together for Lord's Days, you know? Yeah, be, yeah. To, be together. Just do what you can to be together. Yeah. And I'm not, I, you guys do what you want, but um, be creative about building community and uh, supporting each other. And that means lay people, families, priests, all of us got to do it. Nice. Amen. Oh, I'm with Good. you. I, absolutely. All right, my friend, you got any shout outs? I don't have a long list. It was just Veterans Day. So um, shout out to all those um, uh, veterans out there. Um, thank you to for for your service to all of those uh, who serve uh, in the Ameri- in the U.S. Armed Forces and as uh, as uh, military throughout the world. Um, we want a peaceful world, and we're grateful for uh, those who help to that end. Um, I want to particularly shout out Dick Rapp, my dad, yeah. um, who served in Vietnam and um, is has been. Really, like a, I think a, a soldier, um, not only um, for our country but also for uh, for the church and for God for a long time. Um, he's a, a wonderful example of faith and has uh, showed me a certain uh, how to how to serve and be dedicated. Particularly, one thing that he really loves uh, he loves his family and serves his family really well. And then um, he's uh, served in prison ministry for thirty years. And goes every Wednesday to yeah, lead awesome. Bible studies. Um, so to that soldier, nice uh, shout out. Great shout out. Thank you. Well, we're keeping on a military theme. I'd like to shout out uh, my own father as well, Daryl Nepple. Yeah, yeah. Um, Colonel Nepple, who's now Deacon Nepple, and uh, is doing a great job. He's preaching this weekend. My dad is now preparing his homilies for like a month straight. He's like, 30, oh, he memorizes those thirty well. days I saw of preparation. That I was, I listened to one recently. I was like, this is just ridiculous. You, you're just. This is, he's good. So, anyways, Dad, I love you, and we're thank you for like Mike and uh, Dick Rap. Thank you for your service, and then also 
friend of mine from uh, the old Aquinas Alpine days, going up to the huts, Craig Roberts. I don't know if you're ever with Craig. Um, I think this. I don't think you were on this hut trip, but I have this memory of him down. He was just like chopping wood in the basement of this hut for um, hours and hours. He was just like a total servant, and he's in Germany now. And he and his girlfriend both listen to the podcast, Stephanie Biller and Craig Roberts. Uh, hey, right they wrote in, thank you guys. It's great to hear from you. Um, and then the last two, uh, Andrea Von Kampen. Von Kampen. Kampen. I don't know. She's from Nebraska. Whose music I've been your listening Lutheran, to. Your Lutheran girl. She's got a real cool, cool uh, kind of kind of country Emmy Lou Harris type of voice. Oh, yeah. She's got it's a beautiful great. voice. Yeah. But the Audio Tree Live album was the one I really liked on Spotify. So I recommend that to anybody who's listening. Andrea Von Kampen. And then lastly... Um, speaking of soldiers, is uh, our good friend Bishop Walker Nichols. Oh yeah, absolutely. Who actually yeah, listens to the podcast? He, said he likes the podcast. This is uh, the Bishop of Sioux City, and Sister Iowa, Esther Mary Nichols, Sister I Esther. Yeah, both listen. Who got us back connected? But um, on Halloween night, I was—I don't know what we were doing, Mike, but we were driving around the seminary, and uh, we were kind of—I think we were on the golf carts, the maintenance golf carts, doing whatever, and. And at the time, Father Walker Nicholas was walking into Shapu's house, and I said, "Hey, what are you doing in there on a on a Friday night or whatever? You're going to be made a bishop." And he actually was that night. Oh, and that wow. was like 12 years ago. And so You're every a prophet, dude. every year on Halloween, he always um, sends me a, a text or an email, and just it's just crazy how how quickly uh, life has passed. So, anyways, we love Bishop Nicholas, yeah, yeah, who's yeah. priest great of Denver, friend. great friend. He was so good to us when we were seminarians. So we love you. And Sister Esther, you're doing great work out there, so we hope you guys are doing well. Thanks for listening. Okay. That's Blessings it. to all you out there. Uh, thanks for celebrating this 10th anniversary with us. That's right. CatholicStuffPodcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook and... And Instagram and um, Sonic Youth. What was the what sound, sound core audio lab uh, Snapchat? <laughs> I don't know. 